Hey everyone, welcome back to Quaker Nation Podcasts. I'm here with uh, reporter Nethra Wick and deputy uh, editor Walker Carnathan. Um, today we're going to be covering a little story Carnathan's cooked up, a little story that's came up recently, written about in the, uh, well, what was the, where was it written again? Who covered it? Like ESPN, The Athletic, like yeah, really some national coverage, yeah. Ivy League stuff, um, revolving payment. So if Walker, you want to take away what the story is about? Yeah, so essentially uh, these two uh, basketball players um, from Brown University, one who currently plays on the women's team and one who played on the men's team from 2018 to 2022, um, have filed uh, a lawsuit against the Ivy League uh, regarding their lack of uh, athletic scholarships and have basically said that it is a violation of federal antitrust law um, and that the Ivy League's blanket policy to not offer um, merit-based aid is is unjust, particularly in regard to some of the other stipulations that the NCAA has made or that courts have made regarding the NCAA and uh, the way they can limit uh, education-related uh, compensation for athletes. So it's it's a it's a pretty like complicated legal issue, but the easy way to understand it is that they are suing the Ivy League over the fact that they don't give out athletic scholarships and. Among, uh, the case is demanding monetary damages, uh, but it's also demanding an injunction that would allow Ivy League schools to give out scholarships in the future, which is the big thing. Okay. So I, I under, like, this problem to me seems like archaic. Like, we, the rest of college uh, basketball, the rest of all college sports has moved on, not even to just, like, students getting, you know, financial aid or, like, getting scholarships for sports. They've moved on to NIL. Where some people are making millions, they're getting these huge packages. Why is Penn so far back? They're not even dealing with NIL yet. They're dealing with just the well, basic. We do the the, fun, the the weird thing is that like the end like okay so the NIL case uh, the NIL NCAA vote was a result of a Supreme Court case NCAA versus Alston, which was decided in 2021 that said that the NCAA wasn't allowed to um, you know make unnecessary or uh, like overbearing restrictions on education-related compensation, which then led to the NCAA voting amongst themselves and saying, yes, players are allowed to profit off their name, image, and likeness. So that's an entire NCAA thing that they have to follow. So that, like, Penn players do can make NIL money. They just don't because um, it's, in the, it's the Ivy League, which is something that, you know, I, I touch on a little bit in the article and that we can get to, I guess, a little bit later. But, like, like, we are that's the crazy thing is that they are allowed to make money off their name image and likeness but they're not allowed to get their tuition paid for um which you know i'll do my best to remain impartial regarding the subject but a lot of people including the plaintiff uh see that as a little bit backwards personally i'm not gonna stay impartial (laughs) that like very much that that it's completely insane to me that like a college because i know it's not you know, usually the argument is that these colleges profit so much off their athletes. I don't think that's the case for Penn, and I understand that. But at this point in time, if every other college offers this kind of support for student-athletes who are taking on such a huge lo- load of work and then physically training their bodies and competing and they're putting the Penn name on every single day they work and they don't get, like, the, the like not even half the support of other even smaller colleges, yeah, I, I think it's embarrassing. I think it's an embarrassing look. And I think when you're going forward as Penn is like, how are you supposed to be like a college that like supports athletics when you still have that opinion? 
Yeah, I mean, one of the things, um, one of the main proponents, like, that the case offers is that, like, regardless of whether or not they're profiting, like, it is a revenue generating, uh, is a source of revenue generation for the university. It is a commercial activity. Like, it's it's game receipts. It's it's TV rights for ESPN+. Plus. It's merchandise. It's all, all of these things that are generating income for the university. And in the legal complaint file for the case, it lists the rounded uh, totals in millions of dollars that each Ivy League school generated from their sports in 2020, 2021. And the total, it was, I think, $267 million. And the labor force that is generating that money, the student athletes are seeing zero cents of it. Um, Which, you know, in, like you said, in in more high profile college sports, that's more about, um, you know, paying athletes in addition to their tuition. But in the Ivy League, that's, you know, they have, like, we haven't even reached that step yet. And the big argument, the argument that Ivy League Executive Director Robin Harris said in a statement to The Athletic about this story is that, um, you know, the Ivy League's athletics model is founded upon the idea that um, student-athletes should be representative of the greater student body, and that includes the, quote, opportunity to receive uh, need-based aid instead of merit-based aid. Um, and, you know, obviously a lot of people have a lot of different takes on that. Um, I talked to a Wharton statistics professor, Abe Weiner, who said that, you know, if the Ivy League's not going to offer people uh, scholarships for being smart or for being good at piano or any, you know, any other merit-based thing, then they shouldn't offer them athletic scholarships and that that should be the same across the board. But I also talked to Kayla Padilla, who's, you know, senior star captain on the women's basketball team, and she said something along the, the lines of, like, as much as we are representative of the greater student body, we are also living an entirely different experience than the rest of the student body. So it's not necessarily fair to, you know, equate those things, at least, you know, in her eyes. I kind of disagree. I feel like schools should not be recruiting athletes just on the basis of how much money they could potentially earn. I feel like bringing money into that equation could sort of force athletes to choose schools for the wrong reason and I feel like it could get really messy because who's to say what sport gets um what amount of money or what player Mm -hmm. is deserving of a certain salary that's true and Penn's has problems with favoritism in the past which like setting up events for different sports and like what sports get the most support and coverage and then bringing in like our already problematic dealings with like how we treat different faculties and then putting on top of that giving out scholarships for those could lead to like like the the, disequal- the inequality between our different sports and different capacities would be even greater so i un- i understand that yeah i also like personally like i uh, being from from philly i say this a lot in almost every podcast i think being from philly penn is the goal for so many people and a lot of people don't have the money to go to Penn. So them always having like the need based is great for like kids like me because I needed it. All my friends needed it. And that's great. But I do have a soft spot for kids who like, I want Penn to support the people doing extra work as well. Like it shouldn't just be one or the other gets it. My sister was a huge athlete. Um, not so much anymore, but she was a black belt in Taekwondo. She competed nationally. Um, and if she got a merit-based scholarship for that that would have helped my family immensely and now she can't compete anymore right so if she got that scholarship originally it would have both supported a student who needed it supported a student who went out of her way to represent Penn like on like a bigger stage 
And then, you know, now she has like injuries and such and can't do stuff and she can't compete. I feel like it's just Penn's missing an opportunity to support like people. You know, they're saying like it's, it's it is for merit, but people who need it. And it's something that I still find it embarrassing that almost every other college in America can do it. But when you look at the kids here who are supposed to be really bright kids, kids who try really hard, the kids who are doing the most to get into the school get the least amount of support. Yeah, I mean, I think um, one of the points that, uh, you know, um, pr the professor Abe Weiner mentioned and when I interviewed him was that uh, a lot of times uh, s like schools in Penn in particular will give like really generous need based financial aid packages to athletes or people that, you know, are they're advocating for admission, um, which in my eyes, like on one hand is obviously a good thing if the athletes are in need of it. But on the other hand, if that's something that they're already able to do, if that's, you know, wiggle room that they're already capable of wiggling, then what is really the separation between that, between being able to go to the admissions office and saying, we really need to give this person more need-based money and going to the admissions office and saying, we need to be able to give this person merit-based money. I just, I don't know. I don't think they're really, they're really that different. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's also important to sort of like remember that um, like student athletes are still students. Mm -hmm. Like you choose a school based on education first and then playing a sport second. So money shouldn't necessarily, in my opinion, be a deciding factor in that. It should be based on more sort of like your love for the game and your passion for what you do rather than how much money they're going to pay you to mm -hmm. do it. Yeah, that's one thing that um that Kayla that Kayla Padilla talked about when I interviewed her too. She said, you know, a lot of uh she's like 100% was like I don't regret coming to Penn at all. It was a great experience. Like I would do it 100 times over and said that like a lot of it for her and for a lot of the other, you know, recruits that she's, you know, dealt with is that it's not just about, you know, the basketball you're playing at Penn or the four years you're going to spend at Penn. It's about the 40 years afterward that you're going to benefit from having gone to a school like Penn. And that was something that um, Professor Weiner brought up too, is that in recent years, Ivy League uh, football recruiting has seen an uptick, at least according to this forthcoming paper that he's writing. And he says that he's, he made it very clear that he was not trying to say that this is 100% why, but he said that one of his ideas as to why was that uh, you know, kids were starting to place a greater consideration on what an Ivy League education, what its relative value is in comparison to a potential professional athletic career. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, just sort of weighing those two things against one another. That makes sense. And uh, again, I'm always negative on these kind of things because I, I, I hear everything that's being said where it's like, you should have a pride for the game. Uh, an Ivy League education is already so great that you, you have this great opportunity. But for a school that constantly brags about, like, oh, we have the biggest endowment. We have the most money. We want to support our students. And then you have this one thing where, like, all these students are doing extra work. And you – I'm not saying full-ride scholarships. I don't like – even just better facilities. Like, the baseball team just now got, like, a average baseball field. Like, not, not like a, like, oh, state-of-the-art, like, a great thing to play on. Like, they have a turf field, which is – to save money turf is like easier to take care of all stuff they're still like cutting corners but they now just got like the basic requirements of the field let alone the players actually being supported financially so I, i'm always just frustrated because i hate when like the school flaunts the money they have and then they don't put it for, towards a good use 
Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point because, um, you know, for a lot of people, for a lot of student athletes, and for Kayla, she mentioned this, like, it feels like the attitude towards scholarships is, is indicative of, like, a greater lack of focus on athletics for the Ivy League as a whole, which, you know, you can say, that, you know, um, like there's, you can say anecdotally or data-wise or anything to, like, support that, but at least from Kayla's perspective, like, she's in the transfer portal right now to spend her last year of eligibility somewhere else because she can't use it at Penn. And she says that, like, some of the schools she's being recruited by, like, she sees, like, the facilities they have, like, the fuel centers, they get chartered flights, they have, like, entire areas and buildings that are just dedicated to, like, supporting the athletes. And uh, I think the exact quote from her was, like, she doesn't, again, she doesn't regret coming to Penn, but she sees, like, quote-unquote, what she could have missed out on. Mm -hmm. And there's no reason that she should have to miss out on that at a school like Penn. You know, you don't have to just be a really good academic school or just be a really good athletic school if you have the money I, you can afford to be both and Penn has the money mm. yeah but like where do you draw the line on that because there's so many students and so many different things who are excelling in their fields and giving exposure to Penn um you know Penn doesn't give like scholarships for like the arts mm -hmm. or students who like compete in like research fairs so it's like why is there a disproportionate emphasis just on sports you're right because like going into it if we start giving like to, to athletes we start exactly. getting better fields like that and then you, you know you're ignoring the stem field who like again i talked about how my sister was an athlete my sister is doing research right now on autism and she can't get anything above like a four thousand dollar grant and she wants she needs like hundreds of people to do like research and like public data and stuff like that but she can't even get an ounce of what like Penn actually claims they offer to students. So the more we go down the path of like these student athletes deserve it, then it's going to be everyone with merit deserves it. And since everyone who applies to Penn has tons of merit, we have so many kids that deserve merit like funding. It's really hard to draw that line. You're completely right. And I, I'm always like an asshole about this. Like I, I like I just I, I want to say like don't draw a line. Penn should give out all, all their money. But you're right. Like financially, there is like a place they need to find where it's. How can we support our students properly while like finding a correct way to do it? I, th I, I think my end opinion on this is like they shouldn't just say no one gets merit. I think that's them like they're seeing a problem of how we should divvy it up, how we should support students. And instead of supporting students, they just say, fuck it. Like we're done with all of it. We're not going to like follow through or care for them because we can't figure out how to do it properly. And I, I think that's the worst overall solution because even if they gave merit out like improperly, at least people would get support. At least people would have funding. At least, like, the facilities would be better, whatever it would be. Like, at least some support would happen. Even though it would cause controversy, at least some good would be done. Would be done, excuse me. But, like, now it's just I'm frustrated by a school that's, like, claims to have all this money, claims to have all these this great facilities, but they refuse to actually act on what their possibilities could be. And, like, like the other important thing is, like, it's, it's difficult to parse where, you know, the individual schools end and the Ivy League agreement, quote-unquote, begins. Um, because like the there's there's nine parties being sued in the lawsuit. It's the eight Ivy League schools and the Ivy League like board of presidents. I'm not sure if that's the exact right term, but you get the like the the, the ruling governing body for the Ivy League. And essentially, one of the the main uh, proponents of the lawsuit is that the Ivy League schools are colluding with one another to have this fixed price agreement and you know limit these scholarships. So at a certain at a certain level, you can blame the individual schools. Um, but you also have to consider like the values and the leadership of the conference that holds them all together and the conference that, you know, is known by so many as 
know, the, one of the most prestigious in the world and, you know, starting to rethink those things for a more modern, I guess, age. Hmm. So you're, you're trying to tell me they're all like scummy and cheap. Is that, is that the point? Well, who know, maybe none of them are scummy and cheap and they're, you know, forced to abide, abide by this agreement. I mean, there's no way to know. Maybe one is, maybe one wants to give scholarships and can't, maybe two want to give scholarships mm-hmm. and can't, but there's no way to know unless the le- unless the rule is, is repealed and the Ivy League is not is likely never going to do that on their own. So like a legal case like this would be the, the most logical grounds for that to take place. Okay. Nathan, do you have any final thoughts on our, our discussion? I feel like there's not really a price you can put on an Ivy League education and I think that's something that people generally have a consensus on um it's not just the name it's like the opportunities that are here that you perhaps wouldn't find necessarily at um, a state school and I think that's also something that's important for athletes who are playing at the collegiate level when they're deciding where they want to go to school and I think that Ivy Leagues recognize that and they recognize that this isn't necessarily an experience that can be bought and on the basis of that reasoning I think it's perhaps best that they don't offer merit-based scholarships not just for athletics but for all areas just to keep the playing field sort of level Mm. I I agree with you and I like I hate that I agree with you like you make such a great point and it bothers me because yeah you're welcome of course (laughs) It bothers me that you make such a great point because I, again, I'm, I'm sitting over here. I, I always want to be like, give us much money, support everyone. They're being cheap. But you're right to like a very large degree, and I have to admit that. And uh, Walker, any any final statements on, on how you're feeling going forward? Um, I would just say that, you know, regardless of whether or not, you know, the case goes fo- goes through, whether it gets dismissed or what ha- what if it doesn't get dismissed, whatever happens in court, I think that, you know, a, a challenge like this is is a good thing for at least for at least Ivy League athletics. Like Kayla in the interview said that you know, regardless of whether or not uh, the case materializes into anything, that something like this will put just that little bit of extra pressure on the Ivy League to make athletics just just a little bit more important. Maybe there's one additional fuel center, or one team gets a slightly better field, and you know, without extrapolating it to the school as a whole, I think from an athletic standpoint, anything that, you know, makes the school um, prioritize the student athletes that are giving so much, uh, just a little bit more is is a win for all of them. Mm-hmm. And as my final thought on this, especially for Patia, there, I don't think, like, there's an argument to say she's probably a top three player historically for Penn's women's basketball program. Yeah. And I think it's a shame she has to leave to end her career. She can't end her career here if she wants to go into, like, her fifth year. And I understand we also have rules at Penn for that. But her doing that and also her saying, like, she's going to get treated better athletically at a different school, it sucks. Because th- that is someone that is has been, like, the pride of Penn women's basketball for so long. Exactly. Has been the best player. Has been someone. It's, it's like if you're thinking about pro sports, you want your best player to retire for your team as, like, a psych of, like, respect to them you want to pay respects for how much they've done for the program Mm. and we can't do it properly and because of our rules in place and i know like again i understand why i understand like both sides of it but that hurts me a bit because i've talked with her before she's great she has a charity where like she used her name and like again we're talking about nil and nil she uses her nil for charity for donating money and she's already not getting a ton 
So like having someone that awesome leaving because of Penn's like decisions, how they give out their money, it just hurts my soul a little bit. But yeah, I think that's going to wrap up our section on this paper. Um, thank you guys both for coming on. All right. Thank you, Quaker Nation, for listening in uh, for another week. We really appreciate y'all. I hope you guys tune in next time.